0: This morning I want to dig into God's word together and we're going to be in John chapter 6. Uh if you got a Bible you can flip there. But I want to ask the question uh that's a little bit of a difficult one. Uh, as as followers of Jesus, this is one that we have to wrestle with and come to terms with from time to time. We're really good as a people at making plans. We're really good at going down the road mentally and physically with where we want to be, what we want to see have or happen in our lives. And that's great. That's often something that, that bodes really well for us. But my question this morning is, what do we do when the plans that we make, when the things that we put effort towards and put resources towards, when the things that we daydream about... What do we do when our plans differ from the Savior's plans for us? What do we do when uh, God's plans for our lives don't match up with the plans that we have? How do we come to terms with that? Sometimes I can do a really good job of, of uh, convincing myself that if I put enough mental effort towards something or if I put enough resources towards something that I want uh, to see happen in my life, whether it be time or finances or fill in the blank, that I can ensure the outcome of a situation. I can convince myself of that. And the result is sometimes those plans match up with what God wants to do in my life, but sometimes they don't. And I'm reminded that there are so many things outside of my control. And if this is a situation where I've really clung on hard, I've really tried to force my hand in this situation, the tearing away hurts all the more. It can cut. It can leave wounds, so to speak. Situations, uh, maybe like ones like this, where you look at the relationships in your life and you go, oh man, I really want this friendship to last. I really like this neighbor. I'm so glad, uh, that they're next to us. But then for whatever reason, that relationship doesn't pan out or they move away or Maybe I was talking with a youth pastor friend of mine. They have this dream of owning a house. They are down in the southern part of the cities. And he was telling me that as of, as of Tuesday, they've gone to visit over 70 houses. And it hasn't worked out for them yet. They put in offers on all sorts of ones. Now, that's pretty extreme, I feel like. I had some other questions on, like, how do you have that much time? But anyway, it was a plan that they had, and they've been working towards it. Why, God, has this not worked out? Uh, or maybe job situations where we hoped that a situation would go a certain uh, direction or we hoped that this would be a good fit uh, or, or that we'd be able to accomplish this goal. But it doesn't pan out that way. Sometimes family situations can be like that. We're just coming off of Christmas a few months ago. How often do we sit around the table with our family and without saying so, we might look at somebody and go, I wish that our relationship was better or I wish that they weren't making that life choice or whatever. These are things that are tough. These are hard situations to wrestle through. And all the more they can bring about that question of why is this happening when these are issues that we have prayed through. God, why isn't this going the way that I want it to go? Why isn't it going the way that it seems like it should go? We got to be able to wrestle through these types of situations. What happens when our plan doesn't match up with God's? Thankfully, as with so many situations in our life, there's biblical examples, people that have wrestled through that same thing. And that's what we find in John chapter 6. We're going to look, uh, yes, at Jesus and his words, but also we're going to look at one of his disciples, Peter. Now, Peter is one of my favorite people to look at because Peter, when you look at his life, you get it all. Like Jesus, like Paul, so much of his life is recorded uh, throughout the New Testament. And so you get to see some really great moments. There are moments in here that I go, man, I wish that I was just like Peter. And there's other moments where you go, I unfortunately am more like Peter than I want to be in this situation. Moments where Jesus looks at Peter and says, you are the rock that I'm going to build my church upon. Guys, how invigorating would that be to have a, a mentor, a coach, look at you and say, what I want us to see take place, you are a foundational piece. You are a, 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 the avenue, the, the person that I want to use. You are, you are the guy that I want on my team. Man, that must have made Peter feel so good. I- incredible moments. Peter gets to be at least the first recorded person that confesses Jesus to be the Christ. Big moments. He gets to walk on water. But you also have these moments where he kind of drops the ball, right? He walked on water, but he also took his eyes off Jesus and went for a little bath. Okay? Uh, we see that Jesus calls him the rock upon uh, which he's going to build his church. And a little while later says that Peter is getting into the or in the way of what he wants to do to the point that he refers to him as Satan. Okay, that wouldn't have felt so good. And we have the denials as well. Peter has all sorts of moments like this. And I think that should be an encouragement to us that there's room to celebrate when we have those moments where we follow Jesus well. Where we look back and we go, Lord, thank you for helping me to be faithful. Thank you for helping to guide that conversation or that interaction with that person. Thank you for helping me to serve you well there. But there's also opportunity uh, for grace when we recognize that just like Peter, when we blow it, Jesus did not give up on him and he will not give up on us. He's a highly relatable person. John chapter 6. We're going to summarize a bunch of it because it is longer. But in John chapter 6, you have uh, just come off of one of Jesus's major miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. And that catapulted If Jesus was famous and popular before, now you're feeding droves of people for free. Everybody wants to show up and be around this guy. Everybody wants to sit under his teaching. Everybody wants to experience the miracles that were happening when you were just simply around Jesus. In John chapter 6, these crowds chase him all over the region, around the lake, trying to find him. And when they do, Jesus realizes that it isn't so much about them seeking after the kingdom of God and having a close relationship with, with the Savior, Much of their motivation was simply that they got a free meal. Hey, maybe he'll feed us again. What else can we get out of him? And so Jesus has this interaction with a crowd of people where he calls out their motives. In doing so, he refers to himself with one of the seven I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, at this, the crowd begins to balk a little bit. They had no issue with him uh, having a major miracle and doing something that they couldn't fathom. But as soon as he starts to uh, ascribe significance to himself, they begin to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. Who do you think you are? Right? They struggle with this. They don't like that he is calling himself something or someone significant. But Jesus doesn't run away from a difficult conversation. Theme of this whole passage. Read through it when you get time. Because again, we're summarizing through a lot. But he doubles down on this illustration and he makes it a little bit difficult to stick with him for being really honest. Because not only does he say, I am the bread of life, but a little bit later down in the passage, he begins to say that uh, not only is he the bread, but unless you consume this bread... Or his his direct quote, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's a a disgusting illustration. Thank you for that one, Jesus. Unless you do that, you have no part. You have no part with me. You have no part in the kingdom of God. Now, we have the blessing of looking at this through 2,000 years of commentary and Bible study and can recognize that he's speaking using metaphor, using an illustration for us to understand what he was going to do a short time after to bring about the salvation of the people of that crowd and us today. But to the people in that crowd, they are taking this extremely literally. And in just a moment, Jesus went from the popular teacher that everyone wants to be around to now kind of the crazy person. Like your teaching time today is saying that for me to be close with God, for me to be doing the right thing, I need to get out my knife and fork and start eating this guy. This can't be right. And it says that they start to struggle with this. Verse 60 is where we're picking up. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is difficult. I don't get why he's saying this. I don't know what he's doing. And they begin to wonder, is he really the person that I thought he would be? As he's teaching this, standing close to him, we don't know if he's directly alongside, but somewhere in that area is Peter the disciple. Up until this point, Peter's life with Jesus has been pretty fun. It's been pretty awesome. Like there's this interaction where Jesus uh, has them go uh, put the nets down, even though it's daytime, they haven't caught anything. It was right after one of Jesus's sermons and they catch a pile of fish. It would have been a really great financial uh, thing for Peter and his business. After that, he got to be right alongside Jesus everywhere that he went. I mean, you got to be standing beside the person that's the talk of the town everywhere that you go. Peter himself probably got a little bit of like notoriety, a little popularity just from being next to Jesus. And when Jesus did say something confusing or he weren't sure how something took place, like how did that person get healed? How did you do that, Jesus? You had the personal connection and the time as you walked along the road, as you sat down at the dinner table with him to ask him about those things. Peter is living a good life and probably a life that people were very jealous of that he got to be that close with Jesus. But in this moment, everything flips around because the crowd's opinion of Jesus was shifting. Jesus, in calling out their impure motives, was pushing them, was forcing them to think through, and they weren't getting it yet. What is Peter going to do with this? What is Peter going to do with this? Again, Jesus didn't run from the conversation. He keeps leaning into it to the point that eventually if we hop down uh, a few more verses to verse 66, we get maybe one of the saddest verses that I think uh, is there in the New Testament. Verse 66, it says this, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They hit a point in the conversation where they went, Jesus, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't know what you're saying, but I can not endorse it. It's too weird for me. I, I don't have any more questions for you. I'm just done. It wasn't just the crowds that were leaving. John says it was disciples. People that had decided, I want to follow Jesus. I'm leaving behind other uh, things in my life so that I can get to know this guy better. He seems like someone of such significance, I need to form my life around what he's doing, where he is at, what he is saying. These people that have made those kinds of decisions were giving up on Jesus, walking away. And it seems like most of them never turned back. From that time on, they turned, they left. It would have been noticeable. Uh, We don't know how many people were in that crowd, but it would have been noticeable enough and awkward enough that Jesus eventually looks at the 12, those ones that he had selected and chosen, and he asks a question that probably stung a little bit. Sometimes I look at scripture and I go, oh man, I really wish I could hear like tone of voice. Like... Could, could I hear this so I could see better like what the situation is? Uh, but in verse 67, Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? You don't want to ditch out too, do you? Maybe there was some sarcasm in that, I don't know. Uh, but it, it seems to be a pretty cutting question. Watching all these other people say, this is too difficult, I don't get it, I don't understand so I'm leaving. He looks at the closest ones to him and he says, do you want to join him? What do we do when we don't understand what Jesus is doing in our life? Again, sometimes we're really good at convincing of ourselves of things that aren't found in scripture. I have got to be blessed that in, in my family tree, you got to go back quite a few generations uh, before uh, you meet another believer. It's kind of an odd situation. makes it fun around Christmas time. But, um, but God bless both my wife and I to have similar situations like that. And we're so thankful that he has saved and rescued and redeemed us and given us opportunity uh, so tangibly around us to be on mission with him. Um, but sometimes it's really odd to, to figure out why are you doing things this way versus what seems like an easier way, Lord. We try to convince ourselves of things that uh, aren't said in scripture. I, I can convince myself that, hey, because I am following you, Jesus, I need to make sure that you're going to take care of me. And he has promised us closeness that as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. But I can convince myself that, hey, if I'm giving up the things of this world to pursue after you, you got to make sure you're taking care of me. And I can begin to believe that because I'm drawing near to Jesus, that means that I'll never have a scar. Or I'll never have a a difficult thing in my life or a, a hardship take place. And Jesus never said anything like that at all. In fact, often he talked about the opposite taking place, that if you're going to follow me, there's going to be difficulty, there's going to be hardship. Yes, he is sovereign over those things. There is nothing outside of his control. But in that moment, I can convince myself that I'm lining myself up with the uh, creator of the world who's sovereign over all things, and he's going to make sure that nothing comes my way that I don't want. But then that relationship that you really wanted to see take place, or you relied on to be steady, suddenly gets really rocky. Or you get diagnosed with something scary. Or your job fizzles out. Or fill in the blank, you, you, the car that you just fixed breaks down again and it smells expensive. Things like that happen, Right? We're not insulated from difficulty or hardship because we're close with Christ. But we are insured of closeness with him in the midst of that. What do we do in those times where our plans are different? A uh, little window into the Scoglin family. All right, I, I, you guys got to hear that I'm married to uh, Jen. Jen is the best woman I've ever met. She's incredible. Um, and God has blessed us with three little girls. It is a lot of fun in our household. It is never quiet, but it is a lot of fun. They're eight, six, and two. And our older two, man, it was such an easy introduction into being a parent. Like, yeah, there's difficult things, but overall, like the pregnancy was was normal and simple. The, the birth and delivery was simple. I'm saying this as a guy that didn't have to deliver the kid, right? But it went as simple as it could have. And we got these beautiful, healthy girls that smile and giggle and and are growing and learning all the time. And we just assume like, okay, that's just the pattern of how it goes, Lord, this is great. We both came from three kid households, and so that's what we were thinking about is okay, let's let's have a third. And there was some difficulty for the first time in simply getting pregnant. And then when we finally did, things were going really well for the first little while. We got to see this little nugget on the screen at our 20-week ultrasound. Those are some of the best moments, aren't they? You get to hear the heartbeat for the first time. It was great. Four weeks later, my wife went into the hospital, and they said, um... You're you're measuring really differently than you were four weeks ago. And she's like, what do you mean by that? Well, four weeks ago, you are 20 weeks, and you're measuring at 20 weeks. Now you're 24 weeks, and you're measuring at 38 weeks. That doesn't really make sense to us. So can you come to get an ultrasound? And what we found in that time, uh, well, we found a lot of things. But there had been uh, a buildup of fluid, uh, both around baby, but then as we saw uh, our little girl, Lainey, uh, in her chest cavity before we saw lung, heart, lung, right? Got to see them working and pumping like they should. And in a four-week period, there was just a, a swelling of fluid in that area so that up in the corner pocket of her shoulder, lung, heart, lung were working so hard because fluid had literally taken over her whole chest cavity. We began to learn more things about this and the conversations that the doctors were having with us changed from things like, uh, you know, her her heart rate is normal to different conversations numerically about, okay, chance of survival if we do this is. And I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Lord, this isn't how this is supposed to go. This isn't right. We began to learn even more things, some of them that uh, we didn't really know what to do with. Uh, as the doctor told us, uh, we think there's some genetic things going on. Um, can we can we look into that? Well, as long as it's not going to harm baby or mom, sure, we can start learning some things. And uh, we then got to learn that our youngest daughter, Lainey, uh, has Down syndrome. Great. Don't really know what that looks like for life, but okay, Lord, teach us. But it was one of those things that in the midst of what was going on, we were so involved in how do we simply get her safe now, We weren't understanding all the things that the doctors were saying to us. It was a whirlwind time. We got way too close with the doctors at Children's Minneapolis and St. Paul. Great people. I don't want to be there, right? And immediately our conversation shifted from, Lord, thank you so much for uh, this new life to, Lord, we want to keep this life. Like, what's going on? We want to raise this little girl. Why is this taking place like this? It it was a difficulty that we didn't understand why it was taking place, especially after how smooth things were with our first two. It was an opportunity for us to say, okay, we've said that we trust Jesus. But ultimately, most of the time when we've said that, we haven't had need to trust Jesus yet. But this was something outside of our control. This wasn't something that we really could even influence So Jesus, we're going to lean into you. More on that story in just a second. I I won't leave you hanging for too long. Peter was in that moment as he looked around his life. Jesus is starting to do something very different. And his role with Jesus was morphing in that moment. Before it was simply fun and cool to be beside this Messiah-like figure. But now it's difficult. And if I stick with him, people are going to think differently of me. Whatever they ascribe to him, they're going to start thinking about myself too. Am I going to stick with him? Am I going to stick with him when it doesn't make sense? Peter, thankfully, is the one that speaks up when Jesus asks that question, that cutting question that he said, are you going to leave too? We don't get to see if around the circle... The disciples all kind of looked around like, who's going to answer that one? We don't know if there was a nudge like at other times around uh, the last supper table. There was a little nudge given uh, to one of them like, hey, can you speak up? Maybe there was some of that. We don't know. But Peter is the one that we see his response. And he says this, in- incredible. Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. To who else would we turn? Where else would we go? Nobody else says the things that you say. Nobody else can back up those words. Nobody else is doing the works that you are doing. Where, why would we go to anyone else? You are the Holy One of God. Turning to anyone else, they couldn't do what you do. Now notice, Peter does not seem to understand at all what Jesus was teaching on. He doesn't lead off with, you know what, I got the illustration. Those knuckleheads in the crowd, they just didn't get it. I don't know why they didn't understand what you were saying. Peter likely had no clue. He was was just as confused as the rest of the crowd. That didn't matter. Peter wasn't basing his trust on his understanding of what was being said. Peter was basing his trust on his relationship with Christ. That even though he doesn't get it, this is the right person to be by. Even though I don't know why this is going on or why you choose to have this be the course of action, nobody else, nobody else can do what you do. Nobody else can say what you say And so I don't want to be by anybody else. I want to stick with you. Peter leaves us this incredible example that it's not about understanding everything that's going on in our life, understanding all the reasons of why circumstances aren't playing out the way that we want them to play. The point of trust is to lean in to the one that can take care of it, even if we don't get why this whole situation is where it's at for Jen and I I would love to tell you that it was me leading the charge on leaning in I felt like my my head was spinning in that doctor's office that doctor didn't hardly get words out of her mouth and my wife just started praying just started leaning in like "I I don't get what's going on this is scary this freaks me out this isn't how I want things to go but I know the right person to go to and we prayed and prayed and prayed. And before we even left that doctor's office, I was sending so many text messages. to. At that time, I was on staff at the Free Church in Zimmerman sending text messages to uh, the, the other staff members in the small group we were in saying, please, 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 please pray. We're hearing these scary things about our little girl. Pray, 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 pray. Thankfully, we got to have a happy ending to our story. We got to have some pretty incredible things as the doctors are saying, all right, so we're going to be doing this because this fluid looks like it's going to continue to build and grow. And as long as it continues to build and grow, there's going to be less and less space for her to grow and develop. And so we got to figure out either putting a stint in or having her delivered at 26 weeks. Not a good situation, right? All these scary conversations. But from when the moment that we walked out of that first doctor appointment where they're showing all this fluid... From the moment that we started praying, that fluid did not increase. And so we started saying, okay, Lord, it's okay if it doesn't increase. Like, Help us just keep the baby in the oven, so to speak, so she can keep growing and developing just for a few more weeks, a few more weeks, a few more weeks. And then we went in, I mean, we were going in like four or five days a week, but we went in a couple of weeks later and the doctor said, actually, there's less fluid in there now. Not really sure why. And like, literally said it as a passing comment. I was like, us more about that please okay to the point that over the the course of uh, a few weeks after that our doctors said every single time you come in that fluid's going away we're not sure where it came from but it's disappearing and we kept praying okay fine 35 weeks if we can get to 35 weeks they're saying baby will be way healthier things will be way more developed <coughs> 35 weeks girls around No fluid. 36 weeks rolls around, no fluid. 37 weeks rolls around, we go in, and the doctor says, you know what, there might be a little shadow right here, or that might be a pocket of fluid. Do you want to have a baby today? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I do. Is baby going to be healthy? Yeah, let's have it today. That was two and a half years ago, and we have literally the most fun two and a half year old little girl with Down syndrome running around, tormenting her sisters every day. We didn't know what God was going to do in that situation. And uh, I would be lying to you if I said that there weren't a lot of families that we met that were in similar situations, that things turned out very differently. But we took advantage of that time when we were freaked out and didn't understand why, when our plans were so different from what God was doing, not to distance ourselves from God, but to lean in and say, God, I don't get it, I don't understand, but we're here. We want to be close with you. We want to stick right beside you, whatever that looks like. God blessed and took care of that situation. And again, it's a happy ending. It's okay. I get a little emotional and yep. But uh, when it comes to our lives, the moments that we encounter where we go, God, I don't know why this is taking place. I don't know why this relationship is hindered. I don't know why this thing that I so enjoyed has been taken away. I don't know why my finances took a hit or why these plans aren't working out. Resolve that in those moments, that's not gonna be a time that you distance yourself and go, God, I don't get it and I'm mad at you and we're not talking. But instead resolve that those are times that you lean into the relationship that you have. Lord, I don't get it, but I know I'm supposed to be close with you. There's no better place for me to be. Peter leaves us an incredible, incredible example. Lean in when our plans are different from what God has in store for us. Would you allow me to pray? uh, And the the team will be coming up and leading us in uh, some more worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the examples that you give us from your word of what it's like to serve and follow you. Lord, thank you for Peter and the highs and lows that he had throughout his life. This one being one of those moments uh, that he did so well. That even when he didn't understand, even when this changed what other people thought of him, how they treated him, how they interacted with him, he decided that instead of distancing himself or walking away... That even when he didn't get it, he was going to stay put. He valued his relationship with you to the point that he was willing to uh, sacrifice whatever reputation uh, or whatever else might take a hit. Lord, when we encounter these difficult moments, the things that we don't understand, help us to lean into you. Not to distance ourselves, but to draw close. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.